Yeah. <laughs> well, then, the pressure is on. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. In fact, since you're the first guest of the day, you get to be with me in the studio while I actually introduce the entire episode since this is the first Oh, time. great. Thanks for tuning in to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library Podcast. It's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Today, you're going to hear from several members of our staff as they come into our little studio and share their favorite books of 2023. Now, that could be a book that they read in 2023 or it could be a book that came out in 2023 that they also read in 2023. The rules are a little... Loose and I have our first staff member calling in, a sub for the circulation department, circulation specialist, Roddy. Hi. So Jeff made the mistake of telling me that there were virtual non-existent gold stars involved in how we selected our books, knowing, as he knows me, that I can be extremely competitive over the most ridiculous things. So I was going to pick a random book that came out years before that I read this year, but I was like, no, I'm going to pick a 2023 book because I want those fake non-existing gold stars. Um, and the book that I'm going to talk about was actually quite excellent. And I did borrow it from the library. So if no one has it checked out, it should be available. And it is called Every Rising Sun by Jamila Ahmed. And it is a reimagining or uh, retelling, reimagining of A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. Uh, and Jeff, right. I have mentioned before, I think it are retellings or um, even like, did we do a fairy tale episode? I don't remember, but I love these stories. Um, a Thousand and One Nights is actually one of my favorites period. Um, and so when I found out about Every Rising Sun, I just sort of happened upon it at the library after it came out. It came out in July of this year. Um, and I just sort of like walked up to the new bookshelf and I was like browsing and I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. What is this about? And then I read the synopsis and I was like, oh, I'm so glad this is on the shelf because it is coming home with me. And it was such a richly written like beautiful book and you know I feel like a lot of times retellings have a tendency to lean into sort of a romanticization and I'm not saying that there wasn't any of that but it was at its core it was actually just an extremely wonderful historical fiction novel with real stakes beyond just the whole like the sultan is killing his wives on their wedding nights and things like that like there were other politics in plays and other states and Shahrazad's character who has always been a very um what's the word I'm looking for admirable character is given this like very like I keep using the word rich, but it was such a wonderful, like, characterization that sort of takes her beyond what I've seen 
and other adaptations and like reimagining. Anyway, the book was wonderful. And I think everybody should read it. So that is the book that I have chosen to champion for this podcast today. Do you think someone who hasn't or is not familiar with the source material, if that's the right word, could just kind of dive into this without prior knowledge. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there were things that in that book that I wasn't entirely aware of because, you know, the Jamila Ahmed did a really good job of like, you can tell she's very passionate about the history um, of that time, of the time period where it's supposed to be said, obviously, like, a Thousand and One Nights is a work of fiction and things like that. But what she did was she took, you know, actual history and incorporated that into the book. There were, I wish I still had the copy with me, but obviously I had, to, I had to return it to the library. But she mentioned, I believe in the afterwards, that there were very particular historical fiction, uh, figures, not fiction, that she wanted to incorporate into her characterization of Scheherazade and who she deeply admired from that time period. Um, and so honestly, you could approach it literally as any regular old historical fiction. And I think that you would get just as much enjoyment out of it, even if you weren't um, familiar with all of the stories, because she doesn't do what other reimaginings or retellings have done before where they try to retell the same stories in the original work. Um, obviously, she draws a lot of inspiration from it, but it felt like I was reading about Scheherazade, I was reading about the stories, but they all felt, all of the aspects of it felt extremely new to me in their own way. So it almost kind of stands on its own, too. And what was the title and author again for folks who are taking notes at home? So the title is Every Rising Sun, and the author is Jamila Ahmed. Yes. Do you have any honorable mentions? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, not from 2023, but something I'm diving into, and it is already on my list to be one of my favorite books ever, is Helm of Midnight by um, Marina Lofstetter. And then, of course, we got a new <laughs> Sofia Moreno Garcia book this year called Silver Nitrate. So that's high up on the list. I also read A Dowry of Blood. I cannot remember the author's name off the top. I think it's... Hold on. I'm going to Google really quick. Yes, S.T. Gibson is the author. That is a Dracula retelling. It is harrowing. It is beautiful. And also, it is one of the fastest books I've ever read in my life. Um, and I could probably keep going on about quote-unquote honorable mentions that would just kind of result in me naming almost every book I've read this year. But it was a good year for reading, Jeff, <laughs> basically. So how many gold stars is that? You just got eight gold stars. Eight, that's perfect. Eight is my favorite number. This is wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks for calling in, Roddy. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Have a good one and stay warm. <laughs> Red means go, right? Red means go. Finally figured it out. Up next is Cricket, who's the head of adult services and a librarian here at the Ferndale Library. What's up, Cricket? Hi, Jeff. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Yeah. I want to talk to you about a book that I loved this year. 
Tell me all about it and whether or not it came out in 2023. Is this a new book? This is a new book. It came out in 2023. Okay. What's um, the title and author? The title is Impossible People, A Completely Average Recovery Story. And the author is Julia Wirtz. Okay. This looks like a big book. This is a big old graphic novel. Okay. So although it is large in size, it goes relatively quickly. Oh, this artist looks like the fart party artist. It is the fart party artist. Don't mind me saying vulgar terms. I never mind talking about fart party. This is the fart party artist, uh, author and artist. Yes, right. Julia Wirtz. So yeah, I got into fart party a long time ago. It was one of the first graphic novel memoirs that I just really, really, really glommed onto, um, you know, and in Fart Party, she's she's telling the true story of her life when she was like in her 20s and she's a little bit of a mess and she's drinking a lot. Oh, <laughs> and yes. There was Fart Party 1, Fart Party 2, and then there was one called Drinking at the Movies where she's also, you know, drinking a lot. And so lo and behold, <laughs> Impossible People is the story of her recovery from alcoholism. But unexpectedly it is still extremely hilarious oh which is what i my favorite thing and i may have mentioned this to you or on this podcast before is when an author can tackle a really serious tough subject and do it justice but also make me laugh right that is the vibe i've gotten from this author is that they are talking about serious stuff but somehow making it funny yeah exactly impossible people what did you enjoy most about it other than the i guess humor or what 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 are you really taking away from this book what i'm taking away from this book is that recovery is not necessarily a straight line and recovery can be from anything ah um you know recovery can be from like mental illness or alcoholism or other addictions but i really like how honest she is about her relapses because I think there's there there's a story that if somebody is trying to get better from something, it's just like an upward arrow. And I like the way she is completely honest about how her relapses were born out of completely ordinary moments. It wasn't like something terrible happened to her that drove her to relapse. It was just like a Tuesday. How remarkable that you as an author artist would devote so much time to these painful memories possibly i mean i'm assuming you know yeah, possibly yeah. dark periods of your life not even just i'm gonna write about it i have to draw all of these highly detailed pictures yes so definitely. i have to imagine this took a while for her to basically be sitting in her memories but yeah how, oh man i mean i almost already want to know how it ends like i want to make sure she's okay i want to make sure she's in a good place <laughs> um yeah i mean i i don't even use the ex formerly known as Twitter, but I, I actually have Julia Wirtz's Twitter bookmarked because I like to periodically check in on her and see how she's doing. Sure. So if you liked this book, that that's a way you can keep up with her. Life keeps happening. Where is this categorized? Is it in the biography section? Yeah, this would be, uh, we have it in the biography graphic novels, but um, it's more of a memoir because it just covers this aspect of her life. I hate to step on your lines, but what I like to say as advice for people who don't think they will like graphic novels or they're not sure about graphic novels, I often think that a graphic novel biography is the perfect gateway. Yes. That's my theory. No, I totally agree with you. I totally agree. There's something really cool about not only reading a person's words to hear about what they've experienced in their life, but also seeing how they would choose to illustrate it. Yeah. 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 
or there's a uh, there's graphic novel nonfiction too. There's graphic novel history books, true stories told in panels and illustration. Whatever you like reading without pictures, you could read a version with some gorgeous art along with it. Yes. <laughs> yes. The title once again for listeners? Impossible People, A Completely Average Recovery Story by Julia Wirtz. Up next, we have Damon from the Youth Department, a youth librarian joining us. Hi, Damon. Hello. It is good to be here. Welcome to the podcast. Did you read a lot of books in 2023? I have read 152 to date. I will admit that over 100 of them were manga volumes, and so those add up pretty quickly. Okay. But it's been a heavy year for me. Yeah. Out of 152, you were able to single out a single book. Okay, look, Jeff, this was a hard question. And I read your email three times to make sure I couldn't get away with bringing more than one. And I will just bring one book. But I narrowed it down to three and then two. And then I talked to Julia and she helped me decide. And yeah, so I've got my one book. What is your one book? My top book for 2023 is one that came out in 2022, late 2022. I read it in one sitting from cover to cover because I just could not put it down. And it was the book Dear Mothman by Robin Gao. Oh, yes. And so uh, shout out. This is also a featured book at the Reading Rainbow. It sure yeah. is. We're actually talking about it tomorrow. And I did not do that intentionally. Like I said, it was hard to pick it was a book. It's just that but, good, though. Yeah. So the book is a novel in verse, which uh, I love me a good novel in verse when they are done well. Um, if you listeners are not familiar with that format, it is novels told in poetry format. Um, also sometimes told through letters and emails and that sort of stuff. So this one was about a young trans boy named Noah who had just gone through the agonizing experience of losing his best friend due to, I believe it was a car accident. And so the book is all about his grieving process, but he grieves by writing letters to the cryptid Mothman, who he is obsessed with, who he believes in. He starts his science fair project and trying to prove the existence of Mothman to everybody, even though everybody's telling him, no, you got to do on something quote unquote real. And then he starts even having, uh, I don't know whether to call it like almost magical realism moments with a Mothman like creature, or maybe it really happened, or maybe it was in his head or what, but um, he and a friend goes to try to track Mothman down. I mean, it is such a bizarre concept for a book but i love it so much but the grieving process is that journey looks unique for anybody i think then but 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 we all go through it this book sounds simultaneously heartwarming and heart-wrenching it has that perfect balance just of where yeah one page you're crying the next page you're laughing but it does it in such a delicate way that it just makes you keep wanting to read. Mm -hmm. And as a trans person myself, reading that is, you know, sometimes reading books about trans kids is difficult because that sometimes was my experience, sometimes it was not my experience growing up. And it's it's hard to see the kinds of things that everybody has to go through. But this was such a good book and I'd recommend it to absolutely anybody. If you could single out one thing about the book that you appreciated most, what would it be? I loved the focus on cryptids and mothman specifically you don't get a ton of that and it's something that i as a kid never looked into much but as an adult just oh i love that aura of mystery Mm. around folk tales and myths and it's just super super fun Mm. 
And so repeat the title and author again. That was Dear Mothman by Robin Gao. That's G-O-W. And this is categorized, I guess. I mean, if we get fixated on categories, uh, a J-fic, your juvenile fiction book. Correct. But again, for all ages. And yes. adults can read these books too. Yeah, the, the main cast is in middle school, but don't let that deter you. If you are an adult, it is definitely worth the read. Excellent. Thanks, Damon. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Joining us now to share a favorite book of 2023 is Mary Graham. Hello. From the Youth Department, Youth Librarian, Mary Graham, who I'm sure has read a lot of books this year. It I haven't counted yet because I just keep a list on the Notes app on my phone. Oh. So if anything ever accidentally gets deleted or like I lose my phone, yeah. well, we simply won't contemplate. But I don't number the list until the end of the year because I don't like putting pressure on myself. That's I was right. like, oh, I need to read so many books. So I don't actually know mm-hmm. how many books I've read this year because I haven't counted yet. But I was scrolling through the list on the notes app on my phone trying to decide what to talk about today. And uh, of course, I do read a lot of YA. I read a lot of uh, children's literature because of my job, but I read a lot of adult books too. But this year, it was very easy to pick the book I wanted to talk about, which is When the Angels Left the Old Country by Sasha Lamb, which is a young adult novel. It is marketed as YA. We shelve it in YA. But truly, I have been throwing this book at everybody I know. (laughs) Not literally. More like handing to. Sometimes Sure, for legal purposes, we'll say that. Um, (laughs) So, uh, and I have to thank the youth department's very own Erin, because she is someone who pushed me really hard to read it. Uh, And I think I picked it up off of her staff picks. Well, is it in a is it in a genre? I know Erin likes fantasy. Yes. So it is historical fantasy, which is, in fact, my favorite genre of all time. And the premise of the book, it's uh, early 20th century, and there's uh, an angel and a demon in like the Jewish tradition of angels and demons who are study partners in a little shtetl uh, in Eastern Europe when the borders kind of keep changing over, you know, what country the shtetl is actually in. And one of the young women from their shtetl has immigrated to the United States, but nobody's heard from her. And somebody really should have heard from her by now because she said she would write when she got there safely. And so they decide that it's a good deed to go looking for uh, this young woman. And so they basically move to end up moving to America. And so it's very much in in the model of a classic Yiddish novel. Um, and it has some of just the most beautiful narration I've read in a long time. And something else I really enjoyed about it is I was going to Wikipedia every chapter to be like, what does that mean? Because it is very, very embedded in um, Jewish tradition and Jewish theology and so many things like the the angel Uriel and the demon Little Ash are study partners and often they're studying Talmud. And I know what the Talmud is broadly, sure. but that, you know, it, the very specific parts of it will be referenced and not explained, which I love because everybody in the story wouldn't need to explain it to each other. And so I, I love books that make me go, ah, oh, I've got to go look up what this means. Right. And then I feel like there's, you know, learning happening um, outside of this book. So this is Sasha Lamb's first novel. Uh, I really hope that they get signed for a gajillion novels, as many as they want to write, because I really, really loved it. I was I was texting all my friends that I recommend it to. <laughs> At one point, I'm like, they're, they're lesbians in this novel. At another point, I'm like, they're trade unions 
in this novel about Jewish immigrants in the early 20th century, which like shocking. <laughs> it's the least shocking thing that there would be a trade union in that book. I appreciate that. The the avoiding kind of those, uh, I guess I would call it uh, sweaty expositions where it derails the narrative and the character says, which of course we all know means right, this. Right, right. It didn't feel like that at all. Um, of course, you can go to Wikipedia or even your library if you want to learn more yeah, about these other things. Yeah. And what did you enjoy most about the book? Oh, what did I enjoy most? You say fantasy. So, well, I mean, is it's, there a it's, dragon? It's fantasy in that there are supernatural creatures, Great. in that the main characters are an angel and a demon. I just cared about all the characters so much, even the ones who didn't come in until later in the novel, even the ones who were really just supporting mm -hmm. characters. I think, you know, as much as I, I loved the writing and the only as much exposition as necessary it's it's really the characters that you know made me call all my friends and be like you're gonna care about these fictional people so much read this book mm -hmm. um so yeah it was i did read a, a lot of books this year uh but it was really easy to pick that one as the standout and uh, fun fact, I was in England over the summer, met up with a friend who lives in Belfast who was able to come over just for the, the day. We were walking around a bookstore and they said, oh, I read this really good book recently and I'm trying to find it in hard copy. Uh, it's called When the Angels Left the Old Country. And we both like yelled in the middle of a London Waterstones <laughs> because I was like... If you hadn't read that book, I would have read, recommended right. it to you because right. it would have been exactly the kind of book that you would love. Mm -hmm. And and they were actually the one who pointed out to me the lack of over explanation mm -hmm. and and how special that made it. So uh, just shout out to how great uh, children's literature and YA literature is My in the modern era. Yeah, I for... also want to particularly <laughs> Sasha Lamb is is fabulous, but I also want to shout out their publisher Levine Carrito, yeah. uh, who publishes a lot of of books in this in this similar vein of very culturally rich, you know, researched historical novels mm -hmm. that are not going to be, you know, everything you've read before. We just got one in that's set in uh, pre-first contact uh, indigenous Mexico. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's fabulous. I've never read a book in that setting before, and I'm so excited to read it. Um, so thanks also to all the publishers who are... I don't even want to say taking a chance because like they're mm -hmm. good books. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a, a gamble. Right. But who are uh, who are supporting and promoting these supremely skilled authors. And just a note on the how enriching it can be to just read a YA book. I'm presumably majority of our listeners are adults and uh, perhaps they might say, hmm, do I? Should I read a YA book? Or I think you books? should. There's some fabulous stuff going on there. And I think that the hesitation might be that you may or may not be wrongly presuming that these books are written in some sort of condescending tone down to the children or the young reader. But when I hear these books described, I think to myself, well, I myself was once a teenager. Indeed. I, and I think another thing that, that gives, universal. that sometimes gives people pause is that they're they're like, oh, well, I'm an adult now and I just don't. The problems that are problems in teenager books aren't my problems anymore. Or oh, hmm. and it, and it doesn't. Would I be invested in the stakes? Right. Or would I just be saying like, "Girl, talk to him" like the whole time? I think they'd be um, surprised. I think they'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. The title and author again. When the angels left the old country by Sasha Lamb. Mm -hmm. 
It's a little too loud. <laughs> this segment of the podcast is brought to you by Cardboard, our wonderful sponsor. Thank you, Cardboard, as always, for all that you do for us. We love you. <laughs> I'm Erin. I'm Julia. We're giving Jeff a break, so we're taking over the podcast. I'm sure you all have missed us. <laughs> I sure missed you, Julia. Last time I podcasted and you weren't here, it made me so sad. So I'm glad we get to do something together yeah. again. It, we're, we're back in the studio. <laughs> Back and recording live. Oh, um, yeah. If anyone wants to call in, we are live. <laughs> yes, please do. I don't know how to operate the switchboard, but it's fine. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, uh, you know why we're here today. You've been listening to this wonderful podcast. Yeah, we're talking about books and the ones we like this year. Well, Specifically, our most favorite book of the year, right? <laughs> Actually, um, one of my favorite books I can't talk about because someone else already called dibs on it. So I'm talking about a different book that I really, really liked this year. Okay. Well, I'm talking about my favorite book of the year. Julia, <laughs> I know it's not one I recommended to you because our tastes are so different in books. But what was your favorite book of the year? Erin, gosh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you know, it's almost as if we planned that. It is, but like not quite because it was just so natural. So um, So maybe this is a classic case of I read it very recently. And so mm. in my mind, it's fresh, a fresh favorite, but really like certified fresh. <laughs> yes, some might say. But this book is actually causing me to to not even know what to read next because I liked it so much and I'm like scared that nothing else is going to live up to it. The classic like book hangover. Yeah. I'm like now I'm just Mm. reading nonfiction because I'm worried. Anyways, all of that lead up to say (laughs) favorite book of 2023 brought to you by Julia is Drum roll. (laughs) Doesn't make a good drum roll sound but I love it. (laughs) Josh shouldn't have bought us buzzers but also I'm so glad he bought us buzzers. (laughs) But no drum set, unfortunately. That's next. Okay. (laughs) The book is Chlorine by Jade Song. This is a fun... (laughs) Uh, I'll say fun loosely. (laughs) I mean, okay, wait. So the book itself isn't fun, but it's a fun to... enjoyable read, right? See, I love to describe a book as as a silly little book. Are the books I read silly... No, um, not really. They never are. But if you look at them <laughs> through the right lens, yes, they are. Because these books really force you to expand on the level of absurdity that you're willing to accept in your daily life. Okay. And I love it. So in this case, Chlorine is a queer body horror book that follows Ren who's a high schooler and and a competitive swimmer on the swim team. So, yeah, that's the title. Chlorine. Wow, great name. So, Ren's got a lot of pressure. Ren is a Chinese-American whose parents, one of them is in China, um, working a job to raise money for the family. Her mom has put a lot of pressure on her getting a scholarship through swimming. Her coach is always on her about, like, 
maintaining her physique and like being Mm. super competitive. But the best part of this book and why I love it so much is it's the body, the niche body horror that focuses on like going through puberty and also like there's another level to this where it's not only the expectation of society for like girls and women and their body, but also being an athlete, Mm -hmm. what those expectations are. Because in this case, your body is like your tool for competition and for success. So to pull a quote from the book, (gasps) it talks a lot about mutilation of the body Mm -hmm. in a way that even is just the way you eat food and consume food to kind of build mass as an athlete but all of that to say there's a lot of pressure in Ren's life and she's willing to do literally whatever it takes to get to that final form as an athlete the athlete drive essentially yeah and that takes a very dark dark twist if you're not sold on body horror, may I sell you on queer mermaids? <laughs> I mean, this sounds like something from a very different genre of a queer mermaid versus athlete body horror. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> it ties together. And in the end, it's very sentimental and kind of very satisfying. You're like, whoa, not what I would have done, but also good for you. So, okay, how much of it would you say then is more like horror and how much of it is more like queer mermaid? Like, I'm going to give percentages. (laughs) So that way listeners have an accurate gauge of whimsy funness. I will say this book is not for the faint of heart. I'm going 70% body horror, 30% queer mermaid. Okay. Um, but the fun thing about this book, and I listened to it as an audiobook, is that it swaps narrators in the chapters Ooh. between Ren and Kathy, who is a girl that's got a crush on Ren, who's also on the swim team. So Kathy's a lot softer, and those will give you the sentiment. Those will give you, I don't know, like... The softer queer mermaid side. Ren's very hard. So so like the Kathy chapters kind of give you breaks yeah. from the intensity. It'll, of it'll the balance chapters. it out until it gets to a point that it just can't anymore. <laughs> I'm a little surprised because you're not like I don't usually picture you with something that's really intense horror kind of that's usually more my vibe (laughs) yeah i guess i love a i love a body horror more than any other type of horror and this does it well it's very wacky and weird i will say that please no uh jeff did try to read this book and then was like no (laughs) actually i won't i don't think i'm gonna finish this one i appreciate jeff's trying at least i don't know that i would i love a good horror thriller i don't know that body horror would be the kind of horror for me personally so my kudos to you slash those who like that kind of niche kind of horror meanwhile i'm giving it a five out of five And I will say, I was listening to it every night before I went to sleep, and I was having very weird dreams. (laughs) So I can't. Bad choice. 
I can't recommend that, but I do recommend Chlorine by Jane Song. <laughs> now I'm going to throw the mic over, even though we have two mics. <laughs> Please don't throw the expensive equipment. I will never trust us again. I'm literally throwing my mic over to Aaron <laughs> as oh, we wait, speak. You gotta catch it. Oh. oh no. Yep, it went through the window. Oh wait, Aaron said she caught it. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, stop trying to break windows. And Jeff, can you edit in a glass shattering sound? <laughs> okay, so... Oh, yeah, wait, let me ask. Aaron, <laughs> what book are you here to talk about? <laughs> Thanks, Julia, for passing that mic over to me so gently. Um, and not throwing it through a window. <laughs> My listeners heard from that sound that John definitely inserts. Um, yeah, so on a completely different track from what you <laughs> were talking about. Um, the book I'm talking about is like one of my top favorite books of the year was Witch King uh, by Martha Wells. People who have listened to the podcast may have heard me talk about the Murderbot series of books that um, Martha Wells has done. I really like that author in general. But she's actually, you know, well, Murbot is a sci-fi. This is actually a fantasy book, and uh, which is I think is probably I would say more of Martha Wells's kind of like usual genre, and that you can really see her kind of shine. I think in this kind of genre, in the fantasy genre, uh, so it kind of follows Kyisteron, who is a demon, and there's like a duel time kind of thing going on where we're alternating between like a whole bunch of time in the past when he's a young demon and there's this war and a whole bunch of like enslavement and magical nonsensory is happening and um, the like present day where he's trying to solve uh, the mystery of like who backstabbed him and buried him underground in a tomb forever and there's some political intrigue going on um it may not be the book for people who uh, are not fans of like dense world building because Uh-oh. it has a lot of lore. It has a <laughs> lot of very heavy duty world building that they just kind of throw you into the middle of mm-hmm. without like, it's not like a soft like, hey, let's learn about this place. No, they go like straight in with it, which I personally love. I like a really nicely built world. I like having something really built up in my mind right from the get-go. Um, and I think that the world that was created was really kind of interesting with the different political structures. We're following, like, nomadic tribes. We're following big cities. We're following a religious cult. Like, there's all these different factions at play, which I enjoy because it makes it a very, like, complex novel. And at the same time, we have, like, a protagonist who has some complexity in himself but isn't too complex like Mm. you know his story as it unfolds and you just get to enjoy him being a little bit of a for lack of a better word he's a little sassy a Um, bit of a menace he's sassy and lovable but also maybe more of an anti-hero than a hero Um, he does suck the souls out of people (laughs) we love to see it (laughs) I love to see it um yeah so he's definitely more anti-hero than hero Mm -hmm. but he's got a really good heart and 
you can really see uh, like the progression of other characters through his lens in a really interesting way. So I really like that aspect of it too. And with all of Martha Wells stuff, she does a really great job of creating very diverse character casts, I think, in terms of like perspectives, ages, like gender. She does a lot of fun things with gender, I think, that are just great to see. It's very fluid for her. So we'd love to see that. And yeah, like I just, every part of that book was great. And the audio book was just narrated by the best narrator. It was a very soothing voice. And I probably would have fallen asleep if I was just <laughs> at home, just because it was so nice sounding. Yeah. Uh, but I listened to my car, so it was fine. <laughs> yeah, good thing you stayed awake then. <laughs> well, you know what? I love to see that we both brought very different things to the table. But that sounds like us in our Erin in her world building, me and my silly little books. But may they both find books. May they both yeah, (laughs) silly in quotes. Um, Silly as in body horror. Silly as in a little bit scarring. Um, But may they both find their audience. You know. Yeah. May, may these books come to you at the right time. We're giving you a little bit of everything, folks. You know, it's a choose your own adventure, but you have to read one of our books. <laughs> Just kidding. Please do. Well. Oh, I know what that buzzer sound means. <laughs> that means we're out of time, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. This it's is, been a real treat. This has been great. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Okay, and we're rolling on with our episode where we're asking staff about their favorite picks their favorite books of the year that they've read i've been piecing this together uh over the week little by little with each little segment i'm actually recording this episode not at the library i'm actually doing it at home uh so i'm just hanging out in my living room right now i'm about to oh, oh who could that be <laughs> Jeff, it's us. Jeff, we're back we didn't want you interviewing yourself about your favorite book <laughs> that's sad yeah we came back to interview you uh jeff uh, Jeff wasn't going to interview Jeff. <laughs> well, we demanded. The people demanded, Jeff. Karen and Julia demanded. <laughs> whoa, 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 no. The people demanded. Yeah, okay. People so, called in. That's right. What are you doing here in my house? Well, we're here to ask you what your favorite book was this yeah, year. Yeah, what was your favorite book this year, Jeff? We're just time to know. Okay, uh, I think it's a tie Ooh. between the books that I read this year. They both did not come out this year. I really, really liked Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really very good book. It was a hit at our book club. And I also really like this book called Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead by Emily Austin. That sounds familiar. And it was recommended on this podcast. By who? <laughs> who would recommend such a good book? Who's got such great it was taste. recommended by the same person who literally just asked who would recommend such a great book. <laughs> um, and who might that be, Jeff? <laughs> Julia, I think it might be you. Oh my god. So <laughs> I have a hunch. I am going to in the race between tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, mm-hmm. and everyone in this room will someday be dead. I'm gonna give the edge fifty one to forty nine to Everyone in this room will someday be dead by Emily Austin, which continues in our theme of silly little books because this book is only 249 pages. It's not body horror, though, but it does involve a very chaotic protagonist 
who may or may not come considerably close to committing actual crimes. That sounds like Julia. <laughs> while working in a church. <laughs> we love to see it. And looking for her lost cat. Oh. And negotiating relationships and dealing with her chaotic life and also generating empathy for other human beings, going through the grieving process. It's a wonderful chaotic book if you like chaotic characters. Yeah, okay. going so, back to silly little book. Not very silly. <laughs> I think it's Wait, a little silly. Okay, it, I it need to know. Be. Okay, like I did for Julia earlier. Jeff, what percentage would you say is silly? What percentage would you say is like heartwarming? <laughs> and what percentage oh. is just like, I don't know what other category you would like to chaotic. put in. Chaotic. Chaotic, there you go. This book, the reason it wins the title is it's perfectly balanced, 33% silly, 33% heartwarming, and 33% chaotic, and 1% cat. Interesting. <laughs> Wait. So the math works out. <laughs> Only 1% cat? Yeah, yeah, there's a cat. Well, because the cat's lost the cat's for a lost majority of the book. The cat. Wait, I, okay. Is, don't answer if it's going to spoil, but is the cat Okay. I can't answer. We can't say. Oh. If it's going to spoil, I can't okay. answer. Okay. But Guys, that'll keep wording. you reading until the end, if only for that. I, I have to read it now just for the cat. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is also a very good book about the video game industry, which is this vague reference to a quote from Macbeth, but that's really not what's really going on in the book. And it's about a friendship or more or less partnership collaboration okay the relationship besties. a relationship oh. of some sort mm. besties yeah. i might argue with that <laughs> <laughs> there's also some body horror there's a very injured foot so watch out for that but it's about video game industry is like the main yes thing? they are making games that probably aaron would play i think you should actually read it yeah i, I mean they you involve would like, the like rpg style games it has been on my to be read list for mm -hmm. a while. The audiobook's great. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I'm sold. Yeah. Uh, is there a cat in it? No. Okay. I'll still forgive it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is the lack of cat life really gave the edge to the other? Oh, book? yeah. That's fair. That 1%. That 1%. Uh, no. Two, the two <laughs> okay. reasons off the top of my head that I gave the edge to everyone in this room of someday to be dead is because. I like to root for underdogs too. And, you know, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is an amazing book. Mm -hmm. But the entire world will also tell you that. Like, it's gold seal certified. Like, everyone. Yeah, that's, it was a pretty big title. It's the Taylor it Swift out. of books right now. Whoa. But I wanted to root for the underdog <laughs> and get some more attention to Emily Austin's book. And I really like that it balanced out its silliness. And I believe silliness was just mentioned earlier on the podcast seven minutes ago. So want to continue that theme that sounds like they're both really good choices i i can see why you had issues figuring out which one would be like a top mm -hmm. top book yeah mm -hmm. i also read both of those books this year and enjoyed both of them so it also gets my stamp of approval in case anyone asked <laughs> <laughs> wait is that the stamp of approval <laughs> yeah okay it's jeff's doorbell to his house and also the stamp i was gonna of say is there someone else here at jeff's house that we're definitely in right now oh my gosh it's the lost cat from everyone <laughs> in this room will someday be dead hooray <laughs> well jeff <laughs> thanks for inviting us in on 
this cold day. Thanks for having us over. Today. Good to see you. Thanks yeah. for coming in and asking me about my favorite book of the year. Books. But yeah. okay. Okay, next, next on the podcast is Pietro from the Reference Staff Adult Services Librarian. Pietro, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Did you read a lot of books this year? I read a pretty good amount, and okay. this is the time of the year where I start to scramble to read more books that have been published this year because I realize I haven't been reading enough uh, contemporary stuff. You know, a problem I run into when it comes to trying to get the books that came out this year Mm-hmm. whilst working in this library yeah, is that our community has such good taste that those books aren't always checked in. Right. Can't they circulate your hands well. Up. They circulate well. What was the book that you wanted to pick today for your favorite of 2023? So um, Jennifer Egan's A Visit from the Goon Squad. A book you read in 2023? <laughs> yes. A and book? I also read Candy House. <laughs> Neither. I think Candy House came out last year. So I was playing catch up. A Visit from the Goon Squad from 2010 the winner of, I believe, the Pulitzer Prize. Yes, and I believe I just heard something about how she was kind of crippled by that announcement and it made her sort of depressed. And I think this is a phenomenon that several authors are starting to discuss a little bit more often now of like, what do I do now? I got what I finally wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's, first I'm gonna give you a word that says, you're literally the greatest writer on planet Earth right now. Yeah. Here you go. Can't wait for what you show us next. <laughs> right, and then the pressure to the public wants you to produce that again, or maybe even more so your publisher wants you to produce that again. But what fun is that? So you read both. Yes. Uh, Visit from the Goon Squad is kind of an, an intertwined anthologies, if I remember correctly, like all yes. musically related sort of. Yeah. So I thought that it actually illustrates something which maybe you'll have some some hot takes on for me, Jeff, is chaos theory, honestly. It feels like the only order to the book is disorder or that it's it's beyond what our comprehension is, but somehow it all links together and it works. Yeah, and sometimes the threads are barely detectable. Right, Yep. right. That, that may or may not, and I think that's the simplest way I can put it, is that that might be appealing or frustrating, is that sometimes it's an overt connection that you can make between the stories, sometimes it's right. barely, yeah. Sometimes you finish it and you're trying to find what that thread is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I thought... And that, I believe one of the stories told, is told entirely in PowerPoint. Yes. That's right. So. And that was what I knew about it going into it, so I was waiting for it the whole time. <laughs> I want to say that one is in Candy House. Yeah, yeah. But so. <laughs> I kept on being like, where's this PowerPoint story? Uh -huh. But I, I, I was really impressed with how Egan managed to make you feel a lot of empathy for characters that maybe on the surface you wouldn't think of in that way. Mm -hmm. And... There's some authors that have a way of circling and circling around something. And then by the time they hit it right in the middle, you kind of don't even notice it because they've been doing such a good job, but you still get that emotional impact. Ah, yes. Now I didn't read Candy House. Did you read that one though? I did. Okay. I think I, there might've been a few months <clears throat> in between. And honestly, I, I'm not somebody that reads a lot of books and series. If you're saying Candy House <clears throat> didn't come out this year, it had to have come out in 2022 it, because it, it did. Yeah. Okay. It still feels new. So, right. And that's a book that has been perpetually checked out nice. for probably the last year or so. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad she could get back into it. What did you think of Candy House? To me, it felt like one long novel almost. And I think that, yeah, the, the thread sort of continued. It's a very okay. much structured similarly. Oh, it is. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, uh, as 
uh, as our listeners' faithful podcast host. I know nothing about it. Okay. I was a big fan of Goon Squad. So, like, what is its deal? What is it about? You see is a lot a, of... Is it a sequel? Is it a spiritual successor? Yes. Oh, I wow. think she would say as much. So, you do see a similar cast of characters and some of the people that were maybe more tangential in okay. Goon Squad. Interesting. And I've heard that there is going to be another book in this series, though I don't know if there's much hint as to when or how. Okay. And then I guess... I'm someone who could find the chaos a bit appealing. Yeah. Um, so that's already my answer. But were there was there any one singular thing about either book that you liked the most or something about her writing maybe? What made you pick these books? Well, I think they're books that are readily available in our system. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think they were just really emotionally impactful. Okay. Like if a book causes you to cry <laughs> when you're reading it. You got to respect that. Yeah. Which I'll give a shout out to one of my fellow adult reference staff, Drew. Her pick for the Ferndale uh, project was Tell the Wolves I'm Home. And I don't remember the last time I've cried that much while reading a book. It was very impactful. Pietro? Yes. Wow. That's, that was a powerful book. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your recommendations. Absolutely. My pleasure. Drew, Pietro just gave you a shout out. What? In his... In his uh, his, he was talking about uh, he was talking about books by Jennifer Egan, but he mm-hmm. was talking about how powerful it can be when a book makes you cry. And Tell the Wolves I'm Home made Pietro cry several times when he was reading it, Aww. and he was very appreciative of the reading experience and your uh, indirect recommendation, thereby picking it for our, our book club. He also picked it up and read it. So, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So again, we have another adult services librarian joining us. It is Drew. Hey, Drew, how are you? I'm doing great. I wanted to talk about Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead, which won the Pulitzer for Fiction for good reasons. This is a rewriting of David Copperfield, but you do not have to have read that to appreciate it. And furthermore, if you want all the sweeping sprawl and complex characters of a Dickens novel, but you don't want any of that Victorian sentimentality or some of the language barriers to reading Dickens, this may be the book for you. The main character's real name is Damon Fields. He's born in a single wide trailer in former coal country Appalachia. He becomes an orphan at age 11, and he sees an awful lot of uh, the worst sides of poverty. This is a critique of late stage capitalism, but you also get a character with these wry, witty, internal um, monologues and somebody who is seeing things through the eyes of a child without the external assumptions of the rest of the world. Whoa, I'm getting nomad land vibes, mm-hmm. only not like a, a hard boiled adult, but like a, a younger protagonist. Yeah, with the innocence of a child. And also, he has an artistic streak. Um, and he's learning how to draw and represent his own story as he goes through things. This is also a really great view of the opioid epidemic from the very, very beginning. There's a nurse character who's kind of documenting how this is hitting people and the interplay between pharmaceutical marketing and people who are poor and injured is really well documented here. And yet I would not say this novel is in any way a downer. You learn an awful lot really quickly. Yeah. Have you read King Solver before? Have you read any of her other stuff? Yeah, I have. Uh, it had been a while. I think um, I haven't read anything since the Bean Fields. Yeah. Uh, so, what did you enjoy most about this book? So, the characters are Anel. 
analogous, analogous, analogous. Yeah. There's yeah. the word um, to the Dickens characters. So it's kind of like here's little Dora, but now she's Dory, and this is what this looks like in in 2012. So I really enjoyed the callbacks, while at the same time knowing that even if I didn't immediately identify the character, it was going to have it was going to rhyme okay. uh, with something in the back of my head from when I did read Dickens so long ago. And King Silver. Uh... Was it the the bean trees and then Poisonwood Bible? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's always had this streak of being really ruminative about the earth, nature, mm-hmm. agriculture. Is that threaded this, into this? This is very much grounded in place. It's okay. grounded in what happened to the tobacco fields when tobacco died, what happened to the coal mines after coal died, what is still beautiful about Appalachia, what makes people still long to go home when there isn't any money to go home to. Yeah. Okay. And what was the title and author again for our uh, listeners? This is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Excellent. Thanks, Drew. Okay, joining us in this little roundup of everyone on staff who's sharing their favorite books that they read in 2023 is one of our pages. It's Sam. How are you? Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast for your first time, man. Thank you. Now, I asked for your pick of 2023, and you named a very big book. Yes. A very epic book. (laughs) A book that usually winds up on a lot of people's, like, favorite books of all time list. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason I was like following up with you saying, is this your favorite book of 2023? Because it's often a lot of people's picks for their favorite book of all time. You don't have to answer if it's gotten to that level yet, but let's cut. Oh, no, it totally has. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's cut the suspense. Tell us what the book is. Yes, my book is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. It is slightly older book came out in 2004. Uh, Jeff actually brought this up yeah but i was not alive in 2004 so i only recently grew to an age where i could appreciate this book and it is my favorite book of 2023 had you heard about it like how'd you find it uh, what what drew you to it um so my parents uh have both read the book and i have a fondness for any story that has fairies as an antagonist as a sort of creepy bad guy force because that feels more interesting to me than having them be the good guys. Because no you, offense to Tinkerbell, of course. Yes, no, Tinkerbell's yeah. amazing. Right. Um, I don't know that from personal experience. I've just kind of heard. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Tell us what you, uh, I guess, describe the book. This is a very big book, and yes. anyone who starts it will immediately notice that there are a lot of footnotes. Oh, yes, the footnotes are uh, part of the fun for me. You don't have to read them if they're not fun for you. Right. But um, it's a book about, it's like alternate history fantasy type thing set in Britain in the Napoleonic Wars, sort of that. So early 1800s. Yes, early 1800s. The premise is that magic used to be very common in Britain, that magic was sort of part of their history, but it has faded from practical use Mm -hmm. and is now only sort of like studied by groups of theoretical magicians who do not actually practice any magic. But then these two practical magicians show up. And there's a lot of kind of chaos that ensues from that. Okay. And the, the title again? Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And those are the two? Those are the two magicians, yes. And they're, uh, they're pretty distinct from each other. Oh, yes, words. definitely. That's um, one of the things I like about the book is kind of how the author sets up this very good dynamic between the two characters. There's Mr. Norrell, who is like a... I don't know if conservative is the right word, but he's a much more cautious magician. Sure. And he sort of hoards magic. He like hoards books. 
he makes a big show of wanting other magicians to be around. He's like, oh, I, it's so hard being the only magician. If only I had students. But then he goes to like auctions and keeps anyone from getting any books with mm. which to do magic. Mm-hmm. So he's just, he's a nasty guy. We do not like him, but he is one of our main characters. And so we're kind of along for the ride, uh-huh. which I think she handles very well. I think it's difficult to have a very unlikable protagonist, mm-hmm. but she does a good job with it. Mm-hmm curmudgeonly let's yes, say curmud- i don't i think that might be generous oh okay yes All he's right. a he's he's just straight up nasty we <laughs> don't he's not a good guy but then we've got jonathan strange who is much nicer he's more like personable he's more fun but then also he is not as cautious a magician he's kind of like he's both trying to learn from mr norrell and then also he's like kind of struggling against him because mm-hmm. mr norrell is very like covetous with his magic and so they're friends enemies they never reach lovers but that is to be expected i think of and this then book. what drives the plot i guess what's the thing okay here? so the creepy fairies i mentioned earlier ah, yes. yes they're mr norrell makes a very big mistake which you would expect Strange to do, but no, Strange doesn't have the resources with which to make a big mistake. And Norrell summons a fairy who immediately begins meddling, immediately begins twisting the words of these contracts. He's just making a... He is making life terrible for random citizens of London, and no one can really stop him because no one really knows what's going on, except for Norrell, who is too cowardly to admit that he made this huge mess up and invited a fairy where he should not be this fairy sounds a little devilish yes he is very he is very devilish Mm -hmm. i guess what did you enjoy most about it or appreciate most about it well one thing i enjoy is the characters are just very well written Uh, our main characters obviously they're like an interesting pair but then also there's like the there's also um a lot of side characters who are really kind of given a lot of thought Mm. where like often side characters are just that they're on the side we don't have to look at them too much but it feels like she really took a lot of care figuring out who these side people are even though they don't show up as much yeah world building yes because this is like fantastical history yes it is yeah like not exactly our remembrance of the 1800s even though no it's not it's got like certain characters that are from history but they're like I, not like caricatures because they're I wouldn't say caricatures because they're usually flattering portraits of people from history but it's like they're not exactly like who they were there's there's obvi- there's magic it's an established part of British history and mm-hmm. like uh, two magicians like yeah on the topic of world building yeah. that comes to the footnotes which footnotes they're most often little details talking about kind of like bits of the world that she was not able to put into the story but that still kind of make up the world and those are those have been pretty fun for me to read i really like those like little tidbits which kind of make the world in this story seem like much more compelling and more like she really thought this out even though she didn't know we were gonna see it like this is a really a book to get lost in uh, yes this, and i did get lost in it, for, right like it's not i say this in the best way possible uh when i say this it's gonna sound like i'm putting it down but like this isn't exactly like a casual read oh no, no and this isn't not. the book no. that you read for book club that you know you have to finish in 30 days you have to Mm-mm. take your time with this book and it's gonna reward yeah. you it's also fun it's also like i tend to read very fast okay. um i have a lot of time to read and also i 
just I just read very fast. I can process that information pretty fast. So it was a plus for me that this book was pretty big because it kept me occupied for longer than most books do. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, it is not it is not a task to be taken lightly, right. I would say, but it is a very, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on the podcast and give us a recommendation for your favorite book of 2023 and now your favorite book of all time. Actually, it's also Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I have not yet found a better one. Excellent. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. It's not an outro without Julia and I. How can you wrap something up? So we've wrapped it up. Uh, every Everyone who wanted to do it did it. We have a full episode of great book recommendations. Whoa. With a great middle portion. <laughs> <laughs> With random music inserts. Well, I'm not Whoa, random. Not Those were intentional, Jess. What do you mean random? <laughs> Marking the start and the end of a we different have, segment. We have a brand here. Aaron and Julia are back to give an outro for their show. And then I'll give an outro for our show. Yeah. So um, our episode of A Little Too Quiet, <laughs> inside of Jeff's episode, uh, was brought to you by Cardboard today. So, mm-hmm. so grateful to it always. And when Aaron said a little too quiet, I think she meant a little too loud. I mean, sure. <laughs> That's what truly is in my heart. <laughs> um, um, it's been great to be back in the studio talking about some some fun books we love this year. Some pretty silly books. Some, we, pre- some pretty good books, I've heard. Some silly Definitely books. some good books. Uh, we had Barbara Kingsolver from Drew, and we had Jennifer Egan from Pietro. And Roddy called in on the phone. Oh my gosh, we love a call in. Yeah, we had a call in. Oh, that's exciting. And then, um, you know, one of the people, I'm going to leave it to everyone to guess which um, other staff member talked about my other favorite book of the year. I think they already referenced it. Mary Graham did. Oh, Mary Graham. oh no. That just ruins the whole yeah. mystery. Well, you all can write in and tell us something else. <laughs> Mary Graham's segment is edited before yours, so the suspense was never there. Well, you could have fixed it in post. <laughs> all right. This has been another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Of course, we thank everyone on staff for joining us. Uh, Julia and Aaron are here in person. I can thank them in person. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, thanks. What a great idea. <laughs> what a fun time. Uh, you'll have uh, all the titles that were talked about in this episode in the show notes. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and please tell your friends about this fun little podcast. Please. And ooh, I don't even know if we'll have another episode before the end of the year. So if not, happy holidays and happy new year. That's it, everybody. Thanks for listening, folks. Whoa, not what I would have done, but also good for you.